Hey, Chris. <laughs> Let's take that again. <laughs> a swing and a miss. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Chris. Hey, John. Welcome to Saul Searching Everybody, the podcast where we talk about the AMC series Better Call Saul. And right now we are here talking about episode three of season three. This is Sunk Costs, directed by John Shiban. His last credit on this show was last season he directed the episode Rebecca, which was the fifth episode of season two. And this episode was written by Jennifer Hutchison who is also kind of a long-term writer with this crew, and her last episode writing was the episode Bali High from season two. Hmm. So that was episode six. So, again, we're kind of in good hands. They have this this crew of people that really keep the tone consistent, and I would say I thought this was overall a very strong episode of the show. What did you think, in kind of broad strokes, about the episode Sunk Costs? Uh, I liked it, uh, as usual. Um I don't think that I, you know, felt any, I didn't have any big moments of, whoa, what a blockbuster turn or anything. We could sort of, you know, to some degree see where we were going to be. So I, I was just glad it it, it checked off the uh, list of what we were hoping to move on and, and maybe, and then some a little bit, gave us a little more information. But I feel like that's the thing of the pacing of all these episodes is a, a little... A little slow, but uh, like somebody was saying the other day, I, I realized it's kind of uh, it is maybe perfect for binging. Like you know, if you had if you were trying to set up a show where you wanted people to get into it on Netflix and and watch twelve episodes in a row, maybe then you would engineer and let's just move forward a little enough for people to feel like. Hey, we did get some development, but boy, now I'm really excited to see a whole nother one right now. Let me just go ahead and hit play on the next one. Um, but if you're going to watch it, if you're going to engineer it like that and then watch it every week, it's going to feel more like a snail's pace. Well, I just want to add a couple of things to what you said. For one, I think that was me that said that. Oh, okay. When we were off air. Yes. Believe it or not, people, we talk about this when we're not recording as well. Um so yes, I did theorize that. I was saying based on how you end up being in suspense and kind of not being able to wait to see the next episode, that it's like such a slow-paced show, but it's also so exacting with leaving you at the end of of one installment with feeling like all the stuff that's happened up to now, I was pretty interested in. But what I'm really interested in is what's about to happen, you know? Right. They're expert at that. Yeah, they keep you on that line all the time. That seems to be a great model for the binge model. However, I think I also said, I wonder if there is something to be said about the dramatic art, though, of making you wait a week, of like knowing that you, you know, it is an old-fashioned show. Like Game of Thrones is another show that does this, that is uh, capable of ending an episode at a point where everybody that you know that watches it is going, oh my God, for a whole week. And I do sort of think that's a great state to leave people in. Uh, but as a person consuming a thing, yes, I would love it if when an episode of Better Call Saul ended, I could take a walk around the block and then watch the next episode. Obviously, those of you out there listening should take a walk around the block while listening to the Saul Searching podcast. So that's really the right way to watch the show is watch an episode, listen to us, watch an episode, listen to us, so on <laughs> yeah. and so forth. Um, we have no choice. We have to listen to us. The pace... We've come to accept it now, and one of the things, if you come to accept that pace, is that every few episodes, there's going to be this lurch forward, or there's going to be, it just will happen that the, the scenes you want to see are falling 
together in a clump, and that makes an episode strong. And that's why I think this is a strong episode, and maybe I'll make a case for that to you over the course of this podcast. Because I do think that a lot of the things we've been stressed out about, are they going to deliver on this? How are they going to handle this? Tonight, we got some answers to those questions, and we got some hints of, of what the structure of things to come might actually be. Yes, it was momentous. With all that being said, let's, uh, let's start with what the show starts with, which is uh, this almost very clever, very on-the-nose uh, visual metaphor with the shoes dropping at the beginning of the episode— that we don't realize until later that that scene we were seeing was a flash forward. Right. To, I guess, mid Breaking Bad era, Los Poyos Hermanos smuggling. You right, know? right. Um, at the time, there was no reason to think that it wasn't set in the current timeline of the show. But in fact, it was It was a glimpse into the future. Little things like the stop sign being full of bullet holes. Little things like that made me think. I mean, once, that, once they closed the loop on that, I was very impressed once again with their knack for not wasting any scenes, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. as slow as we say they move, even that scene, which felt like a just a little visual poetry, really, you know, um, turned out to be a sort of meaningful and kind of mournful moment because you could believe at that moment that we're getting close to the end of the lives of these characters. You know, we we know what happens to both Mike and Gus. Right, and it just, uh, and it just tells you, oh, this, uh, once, once you get to close the loop on it, like, as you put it, uh, it just tells you, oh, this this route uh, where the ice cream truck used to come is now uh, where the the chicken truck comes. He's he's taken over that that chunk of business. What did you think of just the the very as I said on the nose aspect of your watching shoes drop? Did you think about that? Like, okay, the other shoe is dropping right now. The shoe is dropping. I didn't really think about that metaphor. I was too uh, wrapped up in the whole shoes over the telephone wire thing phenomena, which I've never fully understood, uh, that people throw shoes up on lines and it seems like it's a secret signal maybe that this is where you can, if you stand on this corner, you might could buy some drugs. I don't know. Um, it's a, but it's an urban thing. You wouldn't do it way out there. And so, yeah, for, for a certain portion of the show, I was like, is that a signal? What's going on? Uh, was that a signal to someone? Uh, but no, it's just his his device for sabotaging. The significance of it probably varies, I guess. But my thought was too. Yes, this is normally something you see in a, in a more populated area, and uh, it did cause me to think: Is that just a nice visual touch? Did they sort of say, "Reality be damned, we're going to have some shoes dangling out here"? I guess someone could do it anywhere. You know, it's not to say that there aren't people who want to express themselves by doing that out in the country. But then they answered the question of why these shoes were hanging here. And, and and so I don't I still don't know if you would see them out in sort of more desolate or, or rural areas. If the other shoe is dropping, for whom is that happening? Right, right. And so I kind of think that in a way, maybe they were saying for us, the viewers, the other shoe was dropping because we've known all along that Gus and Mike had to meet. And here it is, you know. Yep. So there was a lot of possible interpretations there. Yeah, I like that. Um, but I'm, by the way, Wikipedia, another another tab has been opened in my uh, orgy of tabs over here. But shoe dangling or shoe flinging is the practice of throwing shoes whose shoelaces have been tied together. Yeah, we know that. The practice, despite its widespread use throughout the United States, has been one of curiosity over the years. Yeah, they say bullies would do it to somebody. Oh, just I, st- I stole your shoes and now you can't get them. But also they would be used to celebrate something, a wedding or, or something like that. And huh. then... 
also can be used to signify that someone has died, which is what I always thought it was, was oh. that if someone had passed away or if someone was missing, I specifically thought it meant like in an auto accident, you know, like someone got hit by a car or something. Yeah. Oh. I never heard any of those, and I guess this was just an urban legend, but I'd be interested if it's on that page as well, that I always thought it was a secret signal of like, hey, uh, look for the shoes, you know, and then you go down there, and uh, and that's that's the area where, where they sell drugs or something. Another superstition holds that tossing of shoes over the power lines outside of a house is a way to keep the property safe from ghosts. It's all over the place. Also, it's just a way to get rid of shoes that are no longer wanted or uncomfortable or do not fit. <laughs> Can't think of anything else to do with these shoes. Whoop. It may also be another manifestation of the human instinct to leave your mark on your surroundings or decorate your surroundings. Oh. So, yes, Wikipedia is also out of ideas on this one. Yeah, they're they're just making stuff up. That storyline proceeded in a way that felt, felt right to me. Um, it didn't really surprised me too much again mike did not yet make this crazy step towards being a a contract killer and the way they played that as them having sort of an interest that is kind of dovetailed together um uh uh, i thought that was that was nice that was a nice way to have mike and gus have this sort of friendly rapport from the start right it brings them into that's the development is that now they're brought into association wherein you can see that they have a mutual respect and that gus could call on Mike and say, hey, you seem like a competent guy. Would you do me a favor? And and uh, it can go from here into a professional relationship. I also th- I had sort of forgotten that Gus's personal style was more sort of sleek and refined than his manager personality. So that makes him yet another character on the show who kind of dons a costume. Right. When he's not in the restaurant, he's a he's a sharp dresser. But uh, it's interesting, as we were saying before, about Mike and, and Jimmy's stories being similar in that they're caught in like a chess game. I thought this episode did a good job of sort of showing them reacting to the chess game that they're in. And you start to see what the real fight is going to be. It's like Jimmy is dealing with the consequences of what happened last week, but he's free. He's right. roaming about. Yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll get into that unless you have anything else to say about Mike. No. All right. What do you think about where Chuck is at this moment and kind of Chuck's reaction to what is happening with Jimmy? Like from the beginning of the episode where he's outside the house and also in the scene later with the uh, lawyer who's going to be prosecuting Jimmy. Well, they 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 were of a piece because I, I think that they showed uh, that Chuck is determined to punish Jimmy, determined that something's going to happen with Jimmy. Uh, but then we do see that it does uh, hit him emotionally to think of actually sending Jimmy to jail, um, and uh, that was my favorite performance moment of the episode was was uh, Michael McKean's, you know, nearly breaking down and crying. Uh, he's just great at that. And uh, so, so yeah, we, we learned that, that he, he, he has a heart. He, he has a, a hard time thinking about sending, sending his, his brother to prison, uh, but he just is full-on determined that something has to be done. He's he's got to he's got to be treated like a small child and 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 uh, uh, made to straighten up and fly right, not just asked to. A couple of weeks ago, though, he did that trick with Ernesto in the tape. And you and I fell for it, and no one else in the world did. Um, and and now I just don't believe anything Chuck does. So I think he was fake crying. Oh, okay. A <laughs> and I think he was recording that conversation on a tape, and he's going to get Ernesto <laughs> to tell that lawyer that he has a tape, so that she 
now bear with me because this uh-huh. is a little bit far-fetched. Yeah. She's going to try to break in right, to his house and steal the tape. What do you think of that? Maybe so. Well, he he does uh, plan things out and think really far ahead, but I somehow I this time I don't think that's what he's going for. I think we can both agree that that's exactly what's going to happen. All right. Maybe I don't have quite as charitable an assessment of Chuck, but I do think it was nice and very moving to see an honest emotion from Chuck uh, about Jimmy. I mean, because what does he have to gain from you know shedding crocodile tears right. for in front of this lawyer? Right. I think it was the reality of knowing that that things are just a little bit more complicated, even though he he does seem to have stacked the deck against Jimmy so that consequences will be felt. You know, in the beginning, there's that very tense moment where Chuck is giving the speech to Jimmy about this this change in your life and how you really got to roll with this, but you can really come out of this. I know you can. And then Jimmy says that, I thought, incredibly astute and cold and very much... Um, I mean, uh, haven't we all agreed that it's cliched to say mic drop now? But yep. I'll say it just one last time. Okay. I felt like that was a real mic drop moment for Jimmy to uh, just kind of remind Chuck, like, no, when you cross me and you destroy our bond, you're you're not just teaching your little brother a lesson, asshole. You've you've destroyed something, you yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know whether we can sincerely believe that Jimmy has finally turned his back on Chuck, but I kind of choose to believe that that he has. So I wonder if that moment that Michael McKean played, a moment of kind of dawning, it really did seem to be like a moment of horror at thinking about the implications of what Jimmy was saying. He, he was immediately thinking, this is cruel of Jimmy to say this to me. Yeah. But at the moment, it's interesting to think that Jimmy has decided he's done with Chuck. Well, maybe what Jimmy said did take the wind out of Chuck. Maybe originally he... he was thinking Jimmy needs to go to jail and maybe that knocked him down and that's when he ended up wanting to tell the lawyer, hey, let's just take away his his license to practice and that's that's enough because maybe then I can keep my my brother who will take care of me in my old age. I mean that's what I'm saying, is like as much credit as I want to give the the, the character of Chuck, I wonder if there was a little bit of mulling over what it really means to lose Jimmy between that beginning where he's being kind of sanctimonious and later where he's really from the beginning of that scene with the lawyer, he seems like he's got to be in his bonnet about this whole thing, like that he's not quite clear on how far he wants it to go. Right. So as, as smart as Chuck is, as shrewd and calculating as he is, maybe he hasn't thought through the consequences of his actions any more than than Jimmy thought through the consequences of his. Right. But the Chuck situation, I thought they left it in an interesting place so that we see where the plot is going. This new character, this... um. Uh, her name is Miss Hay. That's all we know. I don't know if it's H-E-Y or H-A-Y or H-A-Y-E. But she actually had this fully rounded sort of warmth and normal human quality to her. She seemed just very professional and human because it felt like in the moment she's looking with concern at Chuck when he says, my brother has a good heart. And then later we find out about this PPD, this pre-prosecutorial diversion or something, mm-hmm. I think. Which I guess means you can avoid the trial by agreeing to certain terms. Um, so often on this show, you you sort of get the gist of it without really understanding the legalese. Right. What I'm the story I'm telling in my mind is that after hearing Chuck say he's got a good heart, I really don't want things to go too bad for him. That she then cooks up a what what we can agree kind of sounds like a a pretty compassionate plan. Right. It sounds like well, it sounds like to keep he- him out of jail. I mean, it's to allow him to not go to jail. And then the only real downside to that is he is, will inevitably be disbarred, which seems like the, the twist of the knife from Chuck. But you see how Chuck can assuage his conscience and yeah. say, I did what I could to make it easy on him. 
Right. He's definitely just being like a big brother or or more like a, a punishing father to say, look, uh, I'll let you stay out of jail if you agree to quit being a lawyer. And that's that's the punishment I've handed down to you now. But Miss Hay, uh, you were saying, uh, yes, tough but fair. That's how the uh, frenemy prosecutor uh, described her. And then I think when we met her, she seemed to fit that description. There was a moment in this where actually uh, Chuck says to, to Miss Hay, he says, um, a better solution for everyone could be found. But I thought that phrase, a better solution for everyone, you're picturing he has to change his name. Like you're just, there's so many times on the show where you're just going, oh yeah, he's going to change his name. Do you know what I mean? Where they'll just say something right. where it's like, yep, he's going to change his name. <laughs> well, it seems like we're definitely set up now to uh, have Jimmy uh, lose his license and and uh, makes you say, oh, does he just take on a whole new identity in every legal way and get a new uh, uh, license to practice? And that's who Saul Goodman is. It's uh, you know he really is living as as Saul and and has has given up the identity of Jimmy uh, all around. Well, the only reason that we believe that he did it in a more cavalier fashion is because when he explained it on Breaking Bad, he he said what could now be chalked up as a joke. He said that the um, something to the equivalent of of that the gangbangers like a Jewish lawyer, and he came right. up with a name that sounded Jewish. Right, but we now know he he may very well have done that after he was disbarred and then faked a new identity so that he could practice again. And we also know that Saul Goodman was a joke he made uh, in those flashbacks when he was doing the, the alley scheme with Marco in the first season, that he, he makes that joke to the guy. The guy asks his name, and he says, Saul, Saul Goodman. And then he's like, get it, Saul Goodman? You know, mm-hmm. he, he is laying it on thick with the guy. But I always thought of the name, too, as a tribute back to uh, Marco. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, their scheme. And also, the the little pinky ring uh, was another thing that I don't think much about on the show, but it was it was... You know, they had a visual reference to him throwing the that into the the little bag yep. where they make you put your belongings when you get arrested. I, to me, it just doesn't seem plausible that in the world of this show they would say he can have his face on billboards and be fooling anybody with with the new identity because mm-hmm. he's in the same town and he's got commercials on the air. Everybody would know who he is. So if he's not supposed to be practicing law, period, he could not do it in Albuquerque, period, the way that Saul Goodman does it. He would have to be secretive. So they can't have it be that it's a fake. I mean, to me, that would stretch credulity too much to say that he's living in this town, you know, where he's already sort of known to all these people and he's already done the sort of billboard thing and he's already got the Mm -hmm. commercials going. Mm -hmm. To me, it just kind of seems like they have to have some solution where Jimmy keeps his license um, or, or, or they have to do a good job of explaining how the hell he's able to practice in a town where everybody knows who he is. Yeah, that is strange. So maybe you're right. I guess we can get to the the sort of what to me was the emotional climax of the episode and really the a reason why early in the episode we have this great montage of Kim and I wondered why we got that super satisfying sequence of her getting her day going like a champ and then and then have it squashed by Jimmy's plan to defend himself, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that might just be a little bit of a visual joke to show her momentum just getting stopped in that moment. Yeah. But but then later in the episode, obviously, they pay off to me that that opening scene with her, which is to say she's she's so this high functioning person that we know her to be and this person who does a good job. But she is also there for Jimmy in a way that is like extremely touching at this point in the storyline with her character being 
you know, having the concerns that she does. And every week we talk about some element of how much longer is Kim going to be part of Jimmy's world? Is she going to be the one to walk out on him? Is something bad going to happen? And once again, we see her sort of doubling down on on her commitment to Jimmy by saying, let's let's figure something out. Let's do something. Let's kick their asses together. You know, that right. was so great. I love their relationship right now. It was beautiful. It was like a, a two mature adults dealing with a problem in a relationship together, which you so rarely get to see in a story. Um, I just thought it was beautiful. And then at the end, when when they say everything but I love you to each other, yeah, you know, ah, oh. <laughs> that was just so great. Yeah. And why me? You know, that's that was the most moment for me. Uh, was uh, no, that was when that was when actual cartoon tears leapt out of my eyes. Is when he, when he said, "Why a guy like this or whatever?" Or th- this guy seriously, or something to that effect. It's like, you know, why would which is the eternal question of 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 any any guy who thinks he's he's lucky to have the woman he has. Right. Why would you? Why would you be with me? And and why would you stand up for me in this moment? Which brings us around to the title of the episode when she says, let's call it the sunk cost fallacy. Right. The fallacy of sunk cost. Which is um, something that they've referred to on the show before. Sunk cost is the concept of you've put too much into it to abandon it. Right. The sunk cost fallacy is you, by doing that, are dooming yourself to further failure. Exactly. That's the, it's the notion that, well, I've already put $20,000 in here, so I just have to keep at it for the rest of my life. When instead, no, there is a point when you can say, oh, I put $20,000 into it, but... I see it's not working out. I have to walk away. So it's a great it's a it's a great thing to apply to con artists. And it's like I've I've fallen for your your con, Jimmy. <laughs> I've put too much into you already to walk away. And when we saw that was the title of this episode, we went through every possible uh, permutation in our heads. You and I talked about it of who it applied to. Mm-hmm. And and we said, or maybe it's Kim. You know, maybe it's about Kim deciding that she's stuck with Jimmy. And it is so great that she has made a decision to aid and abet him in whatever it has to be done to keep his name and to do what he wants. She could say, Jimmy, you're lucky not to go to prison. Take this. Um, you know, she could she could be telling him to be reasonable, but she's basically saying, let's fight this together. He was ready to say, no, I don't want you to be involved. And she actually kind of took the reins of that storyline, which I thought was just great. And when we considered that she might be the, the one that the uh, title sunk cost was referring to, at least at that time, I was just thinking... Um, well, maybe it refers to the fact that she's not leaving him. You know, maybe it just explains why she isn't, uh, uh, you know, physically kicking him out of the office or something. You know, but no, it it explains why she, she is saying, "Let's go to trial, and I'm going to defend you," which I never uh, expected. So that's going to be uh, uh, fun and cool to to see this to see this trial and to see Kim as Jimmy's lawyer in this. Uh, arrangement yes it, it just was it just felt very well structured and very sophisticated and to me that's why i'm saying a very strong episode because at the end of this episode things that we you could argue that they spent the first two episodes of this season kind of resetting the table so they could get us back to the point we were at the end of last season which was oh mike's about to meet gus and jimmy's about to have some consequences and he's going to it's going to be a public matter that's going to blow back on people that that love him and that he loves you know and now we're actually at the point where that storyline is rolling forward last week i was excited to see what happened next but i had this feeling of oh man it's going to be hard to wait a week this week i was like satisfied and super excited but as far as where the story might go, I don't know if they're making it sweet just so they can they can hurt our feelings later or if they're basically just reminding us that 
maybe this season can be on an upswing. Like it can be a little bit less depressing. As you know, last week we were saying, is this show going to stay so depressing? I didn't feel as depressed after this episode. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely heartening to know that that they're both sides are are girding for battle, and we're going to see a battle. And it's also nice to see Jimmy sort of aware of what's going on and and scheming based on up to date information about what's going on. He doesn't have this. There's not. He's not being tricked. Right. It's nice to see him kind of taking taking control of of his fate in in a more. I don't know. It just feels like a more plot oriented direction. And less of a, he'll oh, cause more problems for himself kind of direction. Right, right. Should be fun. And and also, I do think the fact that it came from Kim means that we're not going to be spending every episode going, I hope Kim's not mad, you know, which is, again, if we think about that, that's kind of a drag character. I feel like a lot of times the female character is sort of the, the killjoy character, even if it's a well-drawn character. So I'm glad that Kim's saying, all right, let's kick their asses, not... Now, Jimmy, take the deal. You know, there's she's not she's not Miss No Fun. She's not standing in the way of plot. Right. I don't know if the writers deliberately did that, but you know, there was a lot of criticism of Skylar White on um, Breaking Bad from kind of ignorant fans who thought she was too much of a killjoy because she didn't want her husband to be a, a murderous drug dealer. Right. <laughs> and from weird people who are rooting for a murderous drug dealer to have all the success and happiness that he can as a murderous drug dealer. I mean, I think we were all rooting for Walt to outsmart these dudes who seemed like worse dudes, but we never really, th- I never thought his wife was lame for for not wanting killers driving by the house and stuff. Right. What a stick in the mud. Right. But sometimes you can think, well, that writer is, maybe the writers are slightly culpable for not doing a better job of making her storylines fun to watch. And I think that what they've done with this show, Kim is a very strong protagonist for the show whenever we focus on her. Like you could watch an episode that, that, was over her shoulder, and I don't think it would it would bother you at all. Like you, the way they can spend an episode basically over Mike's shoulder, you know, I don't think that it would feel out of scale to to really be in Kim's world. And I think we kind of did maybe do that last season. There was that episode where she was trying to figure out what to do before she left HH and M. But now you got to worry uh, with her being so closely tied to this case now. Uh, just uh, uh, you know, not just how bad the consequences can be on Jimmy, but but. Uh, uh, what could be the downside for her for uh, going in and defending him? Exactly. And they did have that little nod to their sort of knack for for doing these little schemes together when she said Victor with a K and he said Giselle. Those were their fake names when they tricked the guy in the bar right? last year. So she is definitely on Jimmy's side over Chuck, and that is a huge part of why she would be willing to say, all right, I'm not going to let that guy win. Yeah. But it does seem hard to believe that there won't be some way that the Mesa Verde thing blows up over this. Is the subject of what was on the tape not ever going to come up in court? I don't know. What do you think of that? Do you think that do you think they just want us to kind of forget about it for now? I'm not prone to think that much about it, but they do, uh, you know, bring up from time to time that that's her bread and butter and that's what she's working on into the night and everything. And so, uh, knowing the style of the show, I wouldn't be surprised at all. If there's a whole plot about how um, they get wind of this uh, weird case she's working on and it endangers her her livelihood. Well, I, I don't have much else to say about that episode except that I'm I'm jazzed to to be where we are in the storyline, and um, I would not be surprised if in the if within the next couple of weeks there's some crazy forward motion you know that 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 surprises us because once again we think we kind of see what shape things are taking so it it could go off in a totally different direction do you have any other 
little odd thoughts or stray ideas before we wrap things up? No, I think we addressed everything. I'm just excited to see if it goes to trial. That seems like really fun TV to watch. And uh, uh, but you know, we don't know if somehow they'll settle out or or some other crazy thing will happen that prevents the trial. But uh, uh, whatever the case, it seems like we're in a, in a in a great spot to anticipate fun TV shows coming our way. I had one last little thing I wanted to mention because I do love hearing Gus talk and there's one of the most Gus lines in the episode and I jotted this one down I do not wish to see your gun right right well and the whole thing I thought you were going to go out and say I don't wish to see your gun and and uh, whatever he says I don't you know uh, uh, I, and you won't see mine either or we agreed you know uh, that that was a cool turn the awkward phrasing of that sentence but also the sort of very businesslike phrasing of it you know he's very careful that Gus yep yep Anyway, well, I do not wish to see your gun, Chris. A shrewd man. A shrewd man. A shrewd man and a, if you don't mind me saying, hot talk. Hot talk. <laughs>